Service and Discretion The Life and Times of the Legendary Masker, Reb Meishalei Brudstein He was a devoted Masker of the Friedrich Rebbe and the Rebbe for over 40 years. Charged with handling the Rabbeim's highly sensitive correspondence and important matters pertaining to the Beis Harav, he was a Baal Said, the paragon of discretion to the fullest degree. He was a tremendous Talmud Chacham and a true Sadishayid with a gifted sense of humor, exuding an aura of friendliness and kindness to all who knew him. Following are snippets of the life and times of Harav Meshalei Brajstein. This article was created from interviews with Rabbi Zihuda Krinsky, Mayor Harlig, Shmuel Lu, Shlema Zarchi, Benzin Chanowitz, Meish Chanowitz, and multiple other sources. It's impossible to describe what the Rebbe and his family experienced since the outbreak of the war. The library in Atvok is still intact. Three crates of priceless Ksavim, including the Balshemtiv Siddur, that were brought to Warsaw are also still intact. But the rest of their belongings, clothing, valuable gold and silver artifacts, and even the Rebbe's Talas and Tefillin were all lost in the fire. Some of the Rebbe's invaluable writings were also burned, and there are no copies of them. I also merited that my belongings, which were together with the Rebbe's belongings, were all lost as well in the fires. It was Cheshven Tafshin, and Europe was burning. Germany had invaded Poland two months earlier, setting off the worst world war in history, and the Jewish world would never be the same. The above letter was written by the Friedrich Rebbe's devoted Moskir, Reb Meishalei Brajstein, to Chesidim in Eretz Yisrael, describing the horrors of war-torn Warsaw and how the headquarters of Lubavitch, which had so recently started thriving in the town of Atvak, after so many years of exile and wandering, was once again on the run. As Chassidim in America worked feverishly to save the Friedrich Rebbe's family from the inferno and to ensure their safe passage to the United States, the Friedrich Rebbe prepared a list of his staff and their families that were to accompany him on this journey. Rebbe Meishalei Brudstein and his wife Kayla were on this list. The alias that stuck. His birth name was Zusha ben Mardechai Shifrin. From his early teen years, he learned in Yeshiva's Temchit Mimim in Lubavitch, and later on in Poltava in the late Tafresh Ains. During those days of upheaval in Russia, men from age 17 were forced to go to army training, and between the ages of 21 and 25, they were drafted into the army. In the yeshiva, all Bachrim who were 17 obtained false papers stating they were 14 years old, and those who were already 21 forged their ages to 25. Zusha Shifrin was issued false documents and the ruse worked for a while, but he was ultimately caught and drafted. It is unknown how he eventually got himself an exemption, but after leaving the army, he traveled directly to Rostov to ask the Friedrich Rebbe what his next step should be. In Yechidis, the Rebbe instructed him to leave Russia and then told him to give him his hand. Chassidim never hold the Rebbe's hand, and Zusha declined to do so now as well. But the Friedrich Rebbe insisted and told him a story of the Balshemtiv while holding his hand. In preparation for his escape from Russia, he received forged documents with the name Meishalei Brudstein, and from then on he was called by this name by all who knew him. In writing, as well as in conversation, he was also commonly referred to with the acronym of this alias, Ramal. He managed to cross the border, but was quickly caught and apprehended by the Polish Border Patrol, and later released. In Tafresh Pei he married Kayla Chanowitz, the daughter of the Lubavitcher Shaykhut of Guboko, Rabbi Yisrael Chanowitz, 
and he was very active in the Lubavitcher community for several years. They eventually settled in Warsaw, where he was appointed to be the secretary of Yeshivas Temchit Mimim in Tufresh Pei Zion. In the summer of Tufresh Tzadik Bays, while the Friedrich Rebbe was living in Drzkenik, a resort area on the border of Poland and Lithuania, Rebbe was appointed to be the Friedrich Rebbe's Moskir. Several days after his appointment, he accompanied the Friedrich Rebbe on a trip to visit the Lubavitch Sidim in Ludmir, Poland. He continued to serve as the Friedrich Rebbe's Moskir until the Nazis invaded Poland in Elul of Tafresh Tzadik Tess. From the Rebbe's Zushimis it emerges that even before his official appointment as Moskir, Rebbe was together with the Friedrich Rebbe in Postov, near Vilna, during the month of Adar Tafresh Tzadik Bez. The Rebbe quotes Rebbe about which Haftarah the Friedrich Rebbe said on Shabbos Parshas Pekudeh. When the war broke out, Rebbe joined the Friedrich Rebbe and his family as they were evacuated from Atvak and spent several harrowing weeks in Warsaw dodging the German bombs. As mentioned earlier, the initial plan was for Rebbe and his wife to join the Friedrich Rebbe on the escape to America through Riga. But since he was a Polish citizen, there was no way for him to leave Poland to Latvia. So the Friedrich Rebbe instructed him to travel to Gubaco and find a way to escape to Lithuania. At the time, the Friedrich Rebbe instructed all the Tambidim of Temchit Mimim to escape to Lithuania, and after several weeks, dozens of Tmimim organized themselves in a yeshiva settling in Vilna. Rabbi Shalev helped the Bachrim in many ways and farbringed with them. When the Friedrich Rebbe arrived in Riga during the month of Teves, Rabbi Shalev and Reb Shmuel Zalmanov came to Riga to update the Friedrich Rebbe in person about the new yeshiva in Vilna and the efforts to obtain exit visas for the Bachrim. At one point during this important operation, Rabbi Shalev provided names and personal information for over 120 Tmimim, Chsidim, and their families, all from memory. Although Reb Meishaleib and his wife had been included in the Friedrich Rebbe's list of essential staff to accompany him to the United States, their visas only arrived some time after the Friedrich Rebbe already left Europe, and they moved to Riga with the hope of reaching the U.S. from there. Eventually, they were forced to escape eastward through Russia, and from the port city of Vladivostok, set off to Kobe, Japan, from where they eventually set sail for America, arriving in New York City through San Francisco in Cheshvin of Tavshinalev. Six weeks later, the Friedrich Rebbe appointed Reb Meishaleib to be the Menal of Agudas Chassidei Chabad in Chicago. At the time, there were four Lubavitcher shoals in the city, and many descendants of Chassidim lived there. He served as the Rav of the Agudas Chabad shoal and was instrumental in arranging Shirei Chassidis throughout the city. He fundraised for the Karen Hatzalah to save Jews from the European Inferno, and was involved in many other projects throughout the Jewish community. In Tufshin Gimel, he was involved in opening the Yeshivas Achet Mimim in Chicago, which continued to function until the summer of Tufshin Vav. At that time, Reb Meishalei was called back to New York to once again serve as Masker to the Friedrich Rebbe. His responsibilities included handling the Friedrich Rebbe's correspondence, presiding over the collection of Maimid, and handling certain financial aspects of Kael Chabad. In his capacity as Mosker, Rabbi became a permanent fixture of the 770 scene, and many from that time period remember his kind, warm, and gentle personality. When I came to 770 as a young bacher from Boston, Rabbi took an immediate interest in my well-being, recalls Rabbi Huda Krinsky. He did not have any children of his own, and he was focused on ensuring the well-being of a young bacher far away from home. He would speak with me at length, always exuding a rich chassidishkeit and dedication to the Rebbe. He was very proud of us young Bachrim, 
and once said to me, You, Bachrim, are the future of Lubavitch. He was a true Balsaid, who knew how to keep a secret and never revealed anything connected with his work in Mascaras. The First Recordings Following the Friedrich Rebbe's Histalkus on Yitzvat, he became instrumental in the Chassidim's effort throughout the year to ensure the Rebbe accepted the Nesias. Rabbi Beryl Shemtiv relates that Rabbi Meishalei was so impressed by the tremendous hiskashros the young Goliath and Bachrim had for the Rebbe that he commented to Rabbi Yitzchak Dubov during that time period, they cling to him, like bees around honey, and they pressured me to speak to the Rebbe about the Nesias. He began serving as a mosker for the Rebbe while continuing to handle his previous responsibilities. At one of the many important meetings with Chassidim throughout that year, he exhorted the Chassidim to continue giving Maimed. He was also appointed to the committee charged with building the Friedrich Rebbe's Isle. Rabbi had a great interest in gadgets and owned a recording device. On the historic day of Yud Shvat Tafshin Yud Aleph, unbeknownst to the crowd, he connected the Rebbe's microphone to his recording device and merited to record the historic Farbrengen of Kabbalah's Hanasias and the mimer Basil Ghani. It seems the recordings of all the Farbrengens in those early years were recorded on devices belonging to him. In those early years of the Nesias, the Rebbe had not yet allowed for his Torah to be properly published. The Hanachis of the Sichas were transcribed by a team led by the Chayzer Rabbi El Khan and typed with a typewriter on several copies of paper which were of terrible quality. One day, Rabbi Shalei brought several copies of the Hanachis to the Rebbe and said, There is no point in producing better copies of these Hanachis because very soon they will be published properly. These are just for temporary use. Rabbi Meishalab said this comment with the express intention of seeing how the Rebbe would react to the idea of proper publication of the Sechas. The Rebbe smiled, and when Rabbi Meishalab reported this to the Chassidim, they understood this to be the Rebbe's agreement for publication in better quality. I spoke to the Shver. Rabbi Krinsky recalls, Rabbi Meishalab worked very closely with the Rebbe. He would go into the Rebbe's room every day to take dictation for the Rebbe's extensive correspondence at a schedule that varied from day to day. He worked every day in the office, now known as WLCC. There were times when the Rebbe would return from the aisle and Rabbi Shalab would enter the room immediately to take dictation for letters. Rabbi Label Groner once related an interesting episode that occurred in connection with this. One time after the Rebbe returned from the aisle, he called for Rabbi Shalab. After several moments, he left the Rebbe's room and uncharacteristically shared with Rabbi Groner what had just happened. Two weeks earlier, after working in the Rebbe's room, Rabbi Shalab remained standing by the door silently. The Rebbe looked up and said with a smile, You cannot go home tonight because your wife wrote me a letter last week and did not yet receive an answer, and she told you not to come home without an answer to her letter. Rabbi Shalab nodded and smiled, and the Rebbe continued, I have not yet been by the Shver so please tell her that I give you permission to go home because there is no answer yet. On this evening, two weeks later, when Rabbi Shalab walked into the room, the Rebbe said that in the interim, he was by the Shver and had the chance to ask the question for Rabbi Shalab's wife. The answer is that she should not do as she had planned. Rabbi Shalab handled the Yiddish and Hebrew correspondence and was understandably involved with the way the Rebbe handled his mail. As is well known, the Rebbe would open every envelope himself. Due to Rabbi Shalab's interest in the latest technology, he once bought an electric envelope opener and brought it to the Rebbe in order to alleviate the burden of time that it took the Rebbe to open the enormous amount of mail that arrived daily. 
The Rebbe looked at the machine for a few moments, but refused to use it. In general, Rebbe Meishalab always sought to create a joyous vibe and made a concerted effort to make the Rebbe happy. He would often do some shtick, only in order to elicit a smile from the Rebbe. Rabbi Krinsky relates that once, as Rabbi Meishalab walked into the Rebbe's room to take dictations for letters, he was holding a very tiny pencil. The Rebbe asked him if he was not able to find a larger pencil to write with. The next day he walked into the Rebbe's room with a giant pencil in his hand, and the Rebbe laughed in appreciation. It seems he would use this pencil on several occasions just so that the Rebbe would be amused. Others recall that he would bring wind-up gadgets and place them on the Rebbe's desk at times to lighten the mood. A quiet and unassuming man, he rarely spoke in public, but when he participated in a farbringen, he would often do shtick to lighten the mood. For example, he had a very long handkerchief that he would slowly pull out of his breast pocket in a way that made a scene that entertained the crowd. There were also times that he engineered some type of ruckus during Minchan weekdays just to elicit a smile from the Rebbe. Far from being a vain clown, he was a pneumistic chassidish ayid who was genuinely friendly and pleasant to everyone and wanted them to be happy, especially the Rebbe. Transcends all limitations. There were some unique exceptions to his rule of silence, and when he did speak in public, he expressed his true devotion and love for the Rebbe. One of them was on Shabbos Parshas Bechukaisai, Tavshin Yudzain, the day before the major Lagbaimer parade. After Shachris, he stood up on a bench and made the following announcement. All Chassidim must get involved in ensuring the parade is successful. The goal of the parade is so that Yiddish Kinder that are not yet Shemir Tayro Mitzvahs should see the Rebbe's holy face. The memory of this experience will be engraved in their minds and will have a spiritual and physical healing effect on them. As the Pasuk states, and he will see the Kayin and the illness will be healed. Another time, on Shabbos Parshas Terma Tavshin Yudalid, Rabbi Meshuleib accompanied the Rebbe as he left the Zal after Shachris and soon afterwards returned to the remaining Chassidim. He stood up on a bench and said, Today we read in the Torah about the mitzvah of building the Arin Kaidash. Chazal teaches that the place of the Arin was Enoi Min Hamida. It transcended the limitations of space. You all think that this concept is distant history? You should know that in our times there is a Yid, the one who just walked into that room, he said while gesturing towards the Rebbe's room, who embodies this special quality. Every day he receives thousands of letters from around the world and I cannot comprehend how he manages to respond to all of them. This is the true embodiment of Enoi Min Hamida. On the same note, he once commented to his great-nephew, Reb Aaron Chetrik, that whenever he thinks that he's starting to understand the Rebbe's behavior and develop some type of pattern, everything changes, and the Rebbe remains as mysterious to him as before. Another time, he saw a certain individual taking a picture of the Rebbe. In those years, the Rebbe did not approve of Chassidim photographing him, and Ramay Shalib confronted the man for doing so. The man said he wanted to have a photo of the Rebbe to remember the Rebbe's image, and Ramay Shalib responded, By the time you will develop the photograph, the Rebbe will be totally different. The Bachram in 770 at the time appreciated his Chassidisha warmth and humor, and he was friendly and approachable to them. Reb Gershom Gorelik recalls, One Friday during the month of Elul, I was in the Zal of 770, which was completely empty. Rameshleib walked into the Zal 
and gestured to me to follow him into the Mascuris office. When I entered, he instructed me to stand under the air conditioning vent and to listen closely. After a few moments, I heard sounds of the shaifar. During those years, the Rebbe daven shachris during the weekdays in his room. The Rebbe had just finished davening and was blowing shaifar as is customary. I cherish this unique memory very much, a special experience he had only because of Rabbi Shalib's unique sensitivity to the Bachrim. Another experience related by Rebbe Goralik. Once a group of us Bachrim followed the Rebbe as he walked home. The Rebbe would walk very quickly and never waited at the curb for the light to change. After the Rebbe crossed the street, we followed immediately behind, and it was not a very safe situation. The next day, Rabbi Shalib walked up to our group as we were sitting in the Zal, and after making some small talk, said to us, You guys need to wait for the green light. And then with a twinkle in his eye, added severely, because you could really get hurt. Rabbi Shalim Azachi relates that Rabbi Shalib would often speak with the Bachrim, already in the Tafshin Yods, about the need to bring the Rebbe to the world, and even suggested that they needed to find a way to get the Rebbe on television. He was a very friendly man, recalls Rebbe Leibolevsky. When I was working in Tzach, whenever I needed to have intelligent advice pertaining to complicated situations, things I would not necessarily want to bring to the Rebbe and consume his time, I would discuss it with Rabbi Shalev. He was very close to the Rebbe and yet so approachable, and always tried to help. Lubavitch Expansion The neighboring building to 770 on the western side, 766 Eastern Parkway, was owned by a Jewish dentist named Dr. Shapiro and it served as his private residence and clinic. He was very friendly to Lubavitch, and even treated the Rebbe and Rebetzin on several occasions. One day in Tavshin Chavgimel, Rabbi Shalev approached Rabbi Yehuda Kerinsky with some urgent news. He had just been speaking to Dr. Shapiro, who had shared with him that he planned to retire, sell the house, and move away from the neighborhood. You must look into buying the building. This is crucial for Lubavitch expansion, he insisted. At the time, we were bursting at the seams, says Rabbi Krinsky. The Rebbe's library was overflowing with Sfarim, and there was no room to store them, let alone to arrange them as a proper library. I agreed with Rabbi Shalab, and after consulting with the Rebbe, I reached out to Dr. Shapiro about purchasing the house. He was very receptive to the idea, and we agreed on a good price. To make a long story short, Merkaz Lenyani Chinuch purchased the home several months later, eventually turning it into the Rebbe's library. In those years, most people, especially non-Lubavitchers, could not imagine that Lubavitch would need to own another building on Eastern Parkway. Dr. Shapiro could have very possibly put the house up for sale, sold it, and we would have completely missed this crucial opportunity. It is only due to Rabbi Shalab's diligence, attention, and vision that we were able to purchase the house when we did. Rabbi Shalab lived for many years in the same building as a shul on Rogers Avenue. Rabbi Harleg was the rev of the shul, and Rabbi Shalab would daven there often. At the time, the mikveh in Crown Heights was not built in accordance with the opinion of the Rebbe Ashab as Bar al-Gabe Bar, and Rabbi Shalab invested tremendous efforts to build such a mikveh in that shul. It was the only mikveh of its kind in Crown Heights for many years. Towards the end of his life, he and his wife moved to an apartment in the building on the corner of Kingston Avenue and Union Street. A Royal Visit In Tafshin Chavzayin, Rabbi Shalei became very ill, and it was increasingly difficult for him to continue coming to 770 every day. In an extremely rare occurrence, the Rebbe visited him in his apartment on Kingston Avenue during Rosh Hashanah of Tafshin Chavchas. 
an event that indicates what a special person he truly was. On Matzei Shabbos, Parshish Lechacha, Tess Chazrin Tavshin Chavches, Reb Meishalei passed away and was buried near the aisle the next day. The Rebbe participated in the Levaya and in another unique exception, traveled all the way to the cemetery and watched the proceedings of the Levaya from outside the gate. Reb Meishalei purchased his burial plot in the front row nearest to the aisle and once explained to Reb Aaron Chitrik that since he did not have any children, he wished that those who come to the aisle and pass it by his grave should say a capital to him in his memory. The Rebbe instructed that a minion should daven in his home every day of Shiva, and since Rabbi Meishalei was very instrumental in publishing the Maimarim of the Fidika Rebbe from Tafresh Tzadik Tess, they should learn several lines from the Maimar connected to the Parsha of that week after each tefillah. Rabbi Meishalei bequeathed all of his possessions to Merkis Lenyane Chinuch, including his home on Kingston Avenue, which served for many years as the Mitzvah Neshek office. His Matseva reads, Pleasant and beloved to all. He consecrated his entire life to Beis Chayenu and served there for over 40 years. With utmost humility, he fulfilled his mission to draw Yidin closer to the life of life. Hemshech Samach On Beis Nisan Tavshin Chavhe, Reb Mordechai of the Balshan Print Shop received a phone call from Rabbi Chadakov with the following message. When the Rebbe returned from the aisle, he instructed that we should start typesetting the Hemshech Samach Vav that very night in preparation for print. This happened despite the fact that Bayes Nissen was on a Sunday and not a regular workday at the shop. Until then, this foundational Hemshech from the Rebbe Rashab was only available in mimeograph, and the time had come for it to be properly published. Over the next few weeks, Rabbi Shusterman was encouraged to hasten the typesetting, but to his surprise, was told to stop only a few weeks after Pesach. During the Sodas Yamtif of Sukkot Tavshin Chavav in the Friedrich Rebbe Sukkah, Rashag inquired why the publication of Hemshech Samach Vav had stopped. The Rebbe responded that a certain member of Anash had produced many copies of the mimeographed version of the Hemshech and was selling it in Eretz Yisrael. When he heard that Kahas was about to publish the Sefer, he wrote a letter to the Rebbe complaining that he would lose his entire investment if the Hemshech became imminently available in the format of a proper Sefer. He regretted writing this to me afterwards. But if I would receive a letter from a chassid expressing how important it is to him that the Hemshech be printed properly, I would consider it. In reality, I received a letter with the opposite content. Despite all this, Reb Meishalib instructed Rabbi Shusterman privately to continue typesetting the Hemshech, which he continued doing on a volunteer basis and managed to prepare 50 more galleys of the Sefer. Five years later, when Rabbi Shusterman was in Yechidis for his birthday on Erev Reish Elul, Tafshin Lamed, the Rebbe asked him, Where are we holding with the preparations for printing the Hemshech Samach Vav? Rabbi Shusterman told the Rebbe that after we were instructed to halt typesetting the Hemshech, Rabbi Meishalei Brajtin, who had already passed away by then, instructed me to continue and we managed to prepare 50 more galleys. When the Rebbe heard this, he said in a loud voice, Tavaya Alav Bracha.